This is the Dice Tower Network, adding games to your wish list since 2005. The home of smart people, insightful board gaming commentary, and Luke Hector. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. The Broken Meeple, Season 2, Episode 23, Handicon. Welcome to The Broken Meeple, a show devoted to board games, card games, and all other things geeky. On tonight's show, I reflect on my experience at the recent HandyCon convention that took place in January 2018. On top of that, I'd like to discuss some ideas I have for the podcast and the show going forwards, and we continue my Broken memory segment with Citadels. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of The Broken Meeple. I'm Luke Hector and today I've got a few things in store. Some to do with the future, some to do with the past, and some to do with, well, right now, I guess. Basically, today I am reflecting on HandyCon for the most part. HandyCon was a convention I attended on the 19th of January 2018 for the three-day weekend. This is a convention that has now had its third iteration. It is hosted by Paul Harris and his motley crew of uh, fabulous helpers and assistants. And essentially, it's been rising up the ranks in terms of good conventions lately. I go to a lot of conventions each year, and they are in all sorts of areas of the UK. This one certainly gets a plus point for being the closest convention, other than my local Stabcon South in Southampton, to attend. Because I live in Portsmouth, you know, Waterlooville, Portsmouth area. I'm right at the bottom centre of the UK. Getting to some of these locations for conventions is a bit of a mission sometimes, even when driving, you know, fairly speedily. So it is certainly handy to have a convention that takes less than 90 minutes to get to by car. There aren't many that are within short distance. Most of the time I have to travel for at least three to four hours, and sometimes even longer, you know, <coughs> aircon. But, you know, I enjoy going to all sorts of different conventions, and you know, experiencing just generally social gathering more than anything else. I'm all up for the trade fair style of things like the UK Games Expo and Essen, and they're both very enjoyable and you still get to play games. But sometimes I just like to go to a convention just to meet new people, see people who watch the show and you know listen to the podcast, and just generally play games with people, whether I know you or not. That's kind of the thing, really. Granted, yeah, you can argue that you can just play games where you are, but there's just something about the atmosphere of seeing games everywhere. Going to a show that's there, going to a special event that's been hosted, you know, attending the tournament for board games. Granted, I'm not the biggest fan of tournaments and board games. I like to play games for fun, not for competitive victories. But, you know, that's just me. You know, tournaments are popular, and certainly you're only really going to get them at conventions for the most part. So, it's third iteration. When I first went to HandyCon, it was literally a new idea. There was no idea how popular it was going to be. The hotel was new to what we were. It was definitely a, you know, a starter kit for a convention. And it still went pretty well, actually. Considering it could have gone really pear-shaped, and most conventions usually have a pretty bad year when they first start because they don't know what to expect, it ran actually pretty well. I still remember it fondly, and it was a good experience. Since then, though, it's been getting better and better with each time, each, each new iteration bringing a refinement to the formula. You know, oh, we need to arrange, just streamline this sort of aspect with the hotel accommodation and the food. Uh, maybe we can run the reception this way. Maybe we can have the table space like this. Can we just get a few more tables, maybe a couple more rooms? And a refinement of the formula is all you need to make a convention great. I'm all up for growing a convention, but I think a convention can get too big for its britches at times. You know, the UK Games Expo is great, but my god, it's huge. You know, you've got so much to look around, there's a lot going on, you can't possibly get everything done in the time, and sometimes that's a bit of a problem for me with a convention. I like to have a situation where I've got everything done early, before the convention finishes, because you don't feel like you have to rush. Essen is a nightmare to get around and do a lot of the stuff in the time. I mean, if you want to see everything at Essen, you're going to need more than four days. There's a ton there. Now, granted, I tend to finish a little bit earlier, but then that's because I'm not looking for everything there. 
and that's mainly because as much as I enjoy anime and comics, I don't actually actively watch a lot of anime other than Dragon Ball Z and, you know, I don't read any comics. So I can kind of discard like a, a hole and a half worth of stuff because I don't need to see it. But yeah, some conventions, you know, where it's just a gathering of friends playing games, I don't want them to get too big. I like them to be a nice small size, a more intimate group of people, people you recognize. You know, that's one great thing about Aircon, which I'll be attending in March, that a lot of people I know are going to that one. People I know from Twitter and Facebook and followers and that. So there's a lot of people I get to meet that I know already. And I mean, yeah, I like meeting new people, but there's just something about seeing people that you know that you haven't met in person for a long time. You know what I mean? So all in all, Handycon, great. It has refined some of its formula. It was another great event. I'll certainly be there in August, hopefully. I mean, obviously dates clashing or anything like that, but no, I expect to be there in August for Handycon 4. And I'm sure they'll refine the formula even more, you know, and eventually they might even, maybe they'll even change hotels, you know, who knows? You know, maybe it'll get too big for that place and they'll move to other venues. Not that I mind the Holiday Inn too much, but, my God, they really need to sort out their prices when it comes to food. Check out our new reduced menu. Yeah, reduced? <laughs> what planet do you live on where that's reduced? Ah, I digress. But yeah, so in terms of games played, mostly games that you don't often get to play at conventions really. I certainly didn't get to play a lot of new titles, but there were one or two that I did get to demo and sort of finish a game of. Mainly I was trying to go into games where I, you know, they're long games, you don't get to play them as much outside of a convention, and certainly the highlight would be me teaching two games of Anachrony throughout the whole weekend. If anyone's been paying attention to my top 10 lists, you would have noticed that Anachrony was my top 10 of 2017. And well, it's not gonna change for a while. I love Anachrony. It is such a great thematic worker placement game. Heavy, complex. If you're not like a Doctor Who fan like me or somebody who's used to watching time travel, wibbly wobbly, timey wimey stuff on a regular basis, some of it might go over your head or be a little bit hard to grasp. But once you get the basic mechanics down, it's a really enjoyable game and I look forward to playing it more. I've shown it to friends of mine who now want me to bring it more often, so hopefully we'll get more plays that way. We can start using some of the more complex stuff within it. And two friends in particular who are gonna be very kind in showing me Tricarion in, uh, in response. So I'm hoping we'll have like a mind clash day where I teach them another game of Anachrony and they teach me Tricarion. My brain will melt by the time I'm done with that day, but I'm expecting it to be nothing but thematic Euro fun. So in terms of new titles, let's focus a little bit on some of the new titles I played and what were my thoughts. First up would be Welcome to Centerville. Welcome to Centerville is a new game of city building by GMT. Now GMT is a publisher that I don't tend to go anywhere near because they, they do these historical epic games like Twilight Struggle and war games and they, they tend to be quite bulky, they tend to be like not particularly well produced, well I say well produced, I'm kind of done with chits and well, weird tokens and that, but you know, some of them, it's mainly the themes, they're good games, I don't deny that they're great games or anything, but it's just the fact that they're just not for me, they're the historical war stuff, historical things like Churchill and that, I'm not a history buff, I'm not interested in that, so it's hard for them to wow me. Welcome to Centerville though caught my interest though because this was a supposed to be a light city building game, 20 minutes per player. For GMT to put out a light gateway level game, that's new. That was something I was intrigued by. So I sat down to play it. Unfortunately, well, fortunately and unfortunately, it's good and it's bad. The mechanics themselves are actually pretty solid. You have a lot of options about what to do. You can build how you can build like businesses and villas. You can try to upgrade your status. You can build trees. You can camp on rivers, get villas. You know, get political offices that give you bonuses. You can do all sorts of cool stuff in this game, and it's streamlined and simplified. Even though there's quite a lot of different options, it may look like one of the most blandest boards ever. But then that's kind of GMT shtick. They don't really go for visual aesthetics. They just go for functional. 
And it is pretty functional. You can tell what everything is. And I like the idea that it has the almost kind of like, I suppose it's the Knizia style of scoring, but maybe this is a slightly different one. But this is where you have two things that you're tracking, wealth and uh, prestige, but you only score the lowest of the two. So you've got to do a balancing act between them. I like scoring systems like that. It's always a plus point when I see that in any game. And certainly that's my favorite thing from Knizia games, which I'm usually not a fan of, but you know, Tigris Euphrates, it's on my shelf, I can see it there. But I like that whole, you score the lowest of what you've got. So you have to do a slight balancing act but you can be good at something. It's, it's, it's pretty nifty. Where the bad stuff comes into this game though is the downtime. Oh my word. This is a game where you roll dice and you choose the dice. You've got a Yahtzee style mechanic so you can get two rolls, two re-rolls, sorry, and you choose what symbols you want and they do different things. You know, get, get tiles, get sets for points, do all this, do all that. The problem is when someone is taking their turn with the dice, you have nothing to do, literally nothing to do, because you cannot plan ahead in this game. You can sort of go, well, he's a bit of a threat, maybe I should go there, but at the end of the day, you're at the mercy of the dice. This is Yahtzee dice we're talking about here, so there's luck involved in that. You can't plan to get something out of those dice. But you get people in this game, and if you just, you know, if you come across anybody who's even remotely subject to analysis paralysis, do not play this game with them ever, please save you that, that dire torture, because they will be sitting there, taking ages with all their options, not taking a turn, and you could be there for a good five to 10 minutes waiting for your turn, you know, possibly even longer. It's, and that was just three players. This goes up to four. I can only imagine a four player of this game being absolute torture. 20 minutes per player is a lie, a complete lie with three or four players. You might be able to do it with two, even then that's a bit of a stretch because there's plenty of rounds in the game and plenty of stuff you've got to think about. You know, this is not like King of Tokyo where the choices are easy to determine what you want. This is a bit more tactical and a bit more sort of forward planning required and the downtime just gets ridiculous. So the game takes far too long for what is basically a simple dice game with a fair amount of options for city building. So it's it's decent. I liked it. I would play it again with two players or solo. I don't know if it had a solo mode, but with two players, I would play it because it would be quick enough. You'd have plenty of options. And as long as they're not subject to AP, they do well. But with three or four players, no. Welcome to Centerville is a complete mess at that level. So, you know, decent attempt by GMT Games. Gotta give you credit, but falls a bit short of the mark. So the next new game I want to talk about is CO2. I'm only going to talk about this one for a short while because CO2 is going to come out in a second edition by Vital the Surda soon on Kickstarter. I don't know when, probably in the next few months, I think. I think in February, I've been told, but we'll see. Ask him yourself. But the idea is, is that this game is going to change quite dramatically from this one. I only played the first edition. It'd been on my list to play for ages because if you know me, I like Vital the Surda games. I adore the Gallerist. I adore Kanban. I really like Vinyos. Even though it's not my favourite of his bunch, I still enjoy this Boa, and I still have it in my collection, at least for the time being. You know, it's the theme doesn't interest me one bit, and it's a nightmare to teach, but it's a pretty cool game once you get into it. So CO2 was the last one on the list that I wanted to try, and I thought, come on, can, can he have a perfect record? Can he give me a solid list of great games? No. <laughs> yeah, no. It, it, it started off alright. It's a semi-co-op. You are effectively building power plants and projects across the world, trying to stop it from getting over-polluted. If the world gets too much pollution, everybody loses, hence the semi-co-op thing. But at the end of the day, only one corporation is gonna win. And you just basically want to have the most money and the most like victory points. The problem with this game is that semi-co-op aspect. Semi-co-op is something that doesn't really work in a lot of games. It's a very hard mechanic to pull off. And in this one, it just doesn't work. In it, you are not doing a huge amount of variety of actions. You know, you're just building a plot project, flipping it over every now and again to get a bonus, and then building a power plant to get victory points and keep the CO2 levels down. That's about it. 
You can plan to an extent, but the decisions you make don't feel that interesting. And once you get past the halfway mark of the game, not only do you have a bit of a runaway leader issue, but you have the issue that nobody wants to do anything. We had several rounds where literally nothing happened because all the projects were in such a state that if they flipped, somebody else would nick the project. There was no way to avoid it. Everyone had too many resources to cope. So nobody flipped anything. So basically, it just got into a complete stalemate situation. And despite this, I had players who were taking ages with their turns. That didn't help either. So this game that I thought was only going to take a couple of hours ended up taking more than double that to finish a four-player game. It really did not sell itself to me. The semi-co-op thing just didn't seem to work. The rules were a complete nightmare. I mean, credit to Mark Cook for trying to teach us this game. He had to pretty much research it for an hour or two before we started, and that was about his only exposure. And some people will be aware that CO2 has won a, a very bad rulebook. So credit to Mark for trying. But oh my god, yeah, this is a very fiddly game. This is not the great thematic experience I was hoping for. There's a lot of tracks that don't feel very different. I mean, yay, I'm leveling up on the solar track. Yay, that doesn't feel much different than leveling up on the forest track. Um, okay, and oh, there's another. And I'm just falling asleep halfway through the sentence. It really didn't work for me. It started off well. In the first hour, hour and a half, I was thinking, yeah, this is pretty sweet. Is it going to end soon? No, it isn't. It took forever. Sorry, Vitalisurder. Love you. Love your games. I look forward to a reprint of this, though, because what I hear is going to change is they're going to streamline some of the rules. Fantastic. Rewrite the rulebook. Fantastic. And make it a full co-op experience. Fantastic. Because that's what this game should be. This whole semi-co-op thing is nonsense when it comes to helping the world survive. You want the world to survive, why is it a semi-co-op? I will take a full co-op any day. And I know some people will disagree with this. They want, they don't like co-ops, fine. You don't like co-ops, that's fine, not a problem. But I love co-ops. So if this can be a thinky Euro game that is a full co-op and highly thematic, then I'm sold. I wanna try it. My only fear with this game though, is the look. Oh my God, that board looks garish. It looks horrific. That might be enough to put me off backing it, I don't know, but we'll have to see. That's CO2. And so finally, I need to talk a little bit about a new Kickstarter coming out called Nemesis. Nemesis is a new kind of sci-fi alien style game, and again, semi-co-op. You, it's, you're out for number one, you've all got your secret objectives, but you also need to kind of keep certain things in check. So sometimes you will work with other players to avoid death. You're on a spaceship and some of you have multiple different objections like wreck the engines, go change the flight coordinates, go kill this bloke, you know, bring back some alien samples, that sort of thing. And that's pretty neat. Um, as you go through the ship, you're generating noise which may attract the aliens that are on the ship to you. These are represented by some awesome models which annoyingly are too big to fit in the rooms. Seriously, did no one realize this? <sighs> People who design minis, they go, ooh, look at this big spectacle of a mini, and then forget it's got to fit on the board. Even the basic alien takes up too much space, and that's, you know, the basic one. You put the queen out, or any of her, like, knights or guards or whatever they're called, and oh my god, the space just fills up so quick. It is a logistical nightmare. But, you know, that's a, a nitpick of design, I think. With Nemesis, though, it's a very hit-and-miss affair, because this funded like crazy on Kickstarter. Absolute crazy. It funded within, what, like four minutes or something stupid? And granted, well done for it, but I worry that maybe people have gone too much on the theme and the models here, because to fund within four minutes, that means, assuming that no other video footage was released of this game before then, the only thing people would have been aware of is what was written on the blurb on the page and the look. That's it. You wouldn't have had enough time to watch a run-through video before you made your backing. So, where does that come from? The thing with this is that I fear too many people are going to like this because of the models. But there are issues with the gameplay. 
I like the I like the whole hidden objective thing. That's cool. It's thematic. It works. I like the way the aliens move in this. You know, they can pop out of vents. They come through corridors. It's you've got to be quiet because the noise will generate movement, and that movement could turn into aliens. I like that. That was pretty solid. So thematically, it's a pretty sound game, and I enjoyed it for that aspect. I did get a lot of laughs out of this. You know, I remember having an objective that was make sure this bloke doesn't survive and trap the uh, flight room or whatever it was. I, by fluke, managed to do the trap bit because somebody else has to walk through that room. How on earth do you convince anybody to do that? But I got lucky with it. As for getting someone killed, that was a bit more funny but a bit more difficult. I literally did the classic, don't worry, I'll come in and help you. Just go in, fire a shot, I will join you in a minute. I then shut the door and ran away. Yeah, literally did that. And then for the rest of the game, I tried to shut every single door in his path by remote control in order to trap him with as many aliens as possible so they would eventually kill him. The problem is the aliens are really ineffectual at killing anything. There are so many aliens on the board chasing him and yet it is very easy to run away from the things. And even when they do hit you, you've got several times you can run through serious wounds before you have a chance of dying. It seemed like you were very sturdy despite getting mauled by aliens. And he was playing a character where he's basically a disabled guy in a wheelchair. How much defense does someone like that put up against tyrannical, you know, like monstrous aliens? How does that work? I don't know. Did he have like special guns on the side of his thing or something? I don't see how that was gonna work. But I, I digress. You know, it was good fun doing that. So we did have some laughs. But here's the major problems with this game. Firstly, and I know this sounds like a broken record, but this is true here, so stick with it, downtime and length. It's too long. You have nothing to do and it's someone else's turn because it doesn't take much to look for your cards and decide what you're thinking of doing. But the problem is, is that you have actions up to basically all the cards in your hand plus any bonus ones you might have. So you have to run through all of those before the next player takes their turn. If there's four of you playing, you're gonna be waiting there a while a long while, and the rest of the game isn't interesting enough to watch to justify you sitting there. I literally think I could have had a two-player game of something like an Onitama or Hanimokoji or something, or Love Letter, with the guy sitting next to me while I was waiting to take my turn. Literally like that. It's that much downtime. And as a result, the game goes on for hours and hours. And this is a problem with most sci-fi miniature dungeon crawls or dungeon crawls in general. Their scenarios take too long. Something that should take about 60 to 90 minutes will take nearly twice that, if not more. And this wasn't with a ton of rule checking, even though, you know, Matt from Creaking Shells was teaching us, but there was some rule checking. But you're gonna have that with most of these games because there's a lot of fiddly rules in there that are a little bit ambiguous and don't make sense. On top of that though, some of the design choices are a bit weird. Some objectives clearly are easier than others. Some may just require you to go to certain rooms and do these things. Well, that's not difficult. My one required somebody else to die. You can't attack anyone directly in this game, so getting someone to die is rather tricky and difficult. And my second part of the objective required me to trap a room and trigger something off when someone walked in. But that didn't make a lot of sense either and how it related to the end game conditions and even then you have to hope somebody walks through that room. What if it's at the corner of the spaceship where no one needs to go? Why would you want to go there? It just seemed really odd and your characters didn't feel interesting. You've got different characters but all you basically have to differentiate yourself is a couple of starting items. One weapon, maybe one or two little side things and that's it. You don't have special abilities, you don't have special powers or anything, you don't have different attributes. You are literally generic, apart from these things. And you think, all right, well, we get some upgrades and we make ourselves really cool. The upgrades are mostly the same thing. The, the tool deck is basically just fire extinguishers, the odd, the odd tool kit, um, what else, uh, some chemicals, stuff like that, and that's about it. The first day, you know, the, the health one is basically first aid kits, bandages, you know, that sort of thing. And the weapon deck has mostly grenades. And that's it. You know, mostly grenades and the occasional prototype weapon. The occasional being the operative phrase. So you barely see weapons in this game. And there's very little ammo. You have to be lucky enough to find it out of the red ammo, uh, the weapon deck, some ammo. And if you started with something like a shotgun that only has two shells in it, you're not gonna be firing off a lot of shots. 
Some of those characters are just downright ineffectual against most aliens, and I guess that was the theme they were going with, you know, survival more than anything else, but still, you don't feel very powerful. And even then, you don't get anything interesting. Where's the next new gun? Am I stuck with this shotgun for the rest of the game? Because I can't find another gun? It, it just seemed... It missed the mark, and I feared... I mean, I'm, I don't go mad for these mass mini style kickstarters anyway, but this one Nemesis really just, apart from a few laughs, apart from a really good rich theme, I just feel it doesn't justify the length, the downtime, the lack of interesting upgrades, and the price tag, because you're talking 100 plus quid or whatever for this, and then you've got add-ons on top, you know there'll be add-ons if there isn't already, so it's just doesn't quite work for me, I'm certainly not backing this, uh, you know, if you want to back it, fine, it's your money, but I just fear that maybe too many people are ignoring certain some of these flaws and just going straight for the cool models and the cool theme. And granted, it does have cool models and cool theme. That is not enough to make a game good by itself. You need theme, you need mechanics, you need both working in tandem. Minis is a side thing. I don't think a game is brilliant just because the minis are great. I have Rising Sun sitting on my table here, unboxed and ready to go. It looks cool. I hope I'll enjoy the game, but I will reserve judgment on that. Despite the fact that all the minis look fantastic, I will have to see if the game behind it justified the expense of getting it on Kickstarter. So we'll find out more on that front. So yeah, free games that weren't great at Handicon, I admit. I know that sounds bad, but that was the new games I was playing. The stuff that I already knew though, I got to teach uh, Ticket to Ride France, great expansion to a great game, Anachrony, two games of that, you know, fantastic. Uh, Citadels I'll get on to a bit later, again, great fun. Uh, the new Kingsburg, good fun. Uh, did I play Gaia Project? I don't think it, no, I didn't play Gaia Project. No, I am uh, avoided that one. What else did I play? Uh, I think I might have played a photosynthesis game, but yeah, there was a few games I played that I just genuinely enjoyed. You know, great games, but those new ones, I'm glad I crossed them off the list. Nemesis was a prototype. You don't get often a chance to see that. CO2, I've been wanting to try for a long time. Got to cross it off my list, at least. And Welcome to Centerville has good potential. Needs some tweaking of the mechanics, maybe a house rule or something in order to get it to move quicker. And then it would actually be a pretty sweet game. But yeah, despite these, I had great company. I got to play with a lot of cool people, a lot of you know, passionate, funny people who made the games enjoyable despite whether the games were good or not. You know, I wasn't a fan of CO2, but I had great company with me. Anachrony games were brilliant, they were so much fun. And the Nemesis game, despite the game being a bit lacklustre, you know, I had Mac from uh, Creaking Shells, and I believe uh, Ian, I think his name was, Ian Gent, I think. And we had a great time, we had a great laugh, and he's never gonna forgive me for abandoning him in a room, sealed doors, in a wheelchair against giant aliens. He's never gonna forgive me, and I'm never gonna apologize, because that was so hilarious at the time. <laughs> oh, well, well. Anyway, I digress. Let's move on to the next segment. But all in all, just to wrap up, Handicom, great convention, worth going to. Get in touch with Paul Harris to find out more details, and hopefully I'll see you in August for Handicom 4. So we move on to Broken Memories. This is the new segment that I am portraying for this podcast, at least until people tell me that it's rubbish and they don't want to hear it. But this is where I look back on a game that I've owned for years. Maybe one of my earliest reviews, maybe one of my earliest purchases, and I see whether it has stood the test of time. And if it has, why? And if it hasn't, why not? Today I am looking at one classic game among most gamer shelves, and that is Citadels. If Eric Summer was listening to this right now, you could probably hear him in the distance screaming its name out because he absolutely hates it. I have a friend of mine who would probably join him on that front because ever since I showed her the game, I kind of put her off it for life because she got so predictable, I was able to assassinate her three times in a row. And granted, that could put anybody off that game. Citadels is one of my first purchases though. I think I reviewed the expansion as my second review on the blog. 
I don't even know if I reviewed the old version of Citadels because you know, the blog was too recent, but I did do a review recently of the 2016 edition, I believe Windrider Games, that the Fantasy Flight spin-off company put out, and that is the one on my shelf right now. Citadels though, I've owned for ages. This is one of my oldest games in my collection, possibly the oldest game in my collection. It is a role selection drafting game where you are building up a city and you're trying to have a city that is worth the most value at the end. Simple enough, but each turn you will draft from a role selection of eight characters, possibly nine, and the characters can be mixed and mingled depending on the expansions or if you've bought the newest version which has three sets of characters you could pick from and mix and match. The idea is, is that you will draft a character and then they will be called out in order. Think Mission Red Planet if you've played that one as an example. And when your role is called out, you do your action. Take gold, build cards, build, you know, draw cards, sorry, build things in your city and access a character ability. Timing is key, avoiding characters like the Assassin and the Thief who are deliberately targeting specific characters to steal gold or, you know, kill them off to miss a turn. It's a great little mixture of deduction, hidden, hidden roles and drafting, role selection. It's a very neat, very, not too, no, not too difficult game really. I don't know if I'd want to call it gateway level. It, I'd say it's gateway level. I mean, the mechanics are simple enough. You can teach it in no time at all, but you do have to teach eight characters with abilities and role selection and drafting are two types of mechanics that people new to gaming don't tend to see very often or have probably never seen before. So it does go over some people's heads when I teach it to people. But, you know, I think it's near enough gateway or it's close enough. You know, it depends who you're playing it with. But has it stood the test of time? Well, it, yes, yeah, certainly has. This has been on my shelf continuously. There hasn't been a period of time when Citadels has not been on my shelf, whether in its old uh, giant box form, whether in its more condensed coffin box form, or whether in its new 2016 version, which is the one I have now. I really enjoy this game. This, I believe, is... Oh, where is it? I really need to have the top 100 list in front of me when I do these things, but... Uh, I will see if I can find it maybe on, no, I'm not gonna look this up, no. I believe it came in somewhere like the middle, somewhere like in the 40s or 50s, I think Citadels is for me now. And that's mainly because the new version is really nice. I think it would have still been in my top 100 even if it was the previous version, but this new one has really elevated it. Firstly, you've got another set of characters. So now you've got three sets of nine characters to choose from. So much variety, and the new characters have got some interesting abilities, although reserve them for people who have played the game before. They've streamlined some of the rules, like now it's always seven districts to finish the game, not eight, because nobody really played up to eight really, it was better with just seven. And the visual appeal is a lot better. Granted, I wish they'd upgraded from the uh, gold strepsil counters, and I don't know why that didn't change, but you know, they're fun enough but you've now got a chunky king counter, and best of all, the artwork is sublime. The old one wasn't exactly bad, but it was a different style. This new one though is so nice, so colorful, so vibrant. The artwork just sings on every city card and on every character. And best of all, the tarot card size that they've used for this now, you know, they've like really increase the size of the card, makes the rolls a lot easier to handle in your hand when you're drafting. And the, I think they might have, I don't think they increase the size of the city cards. I think they're the same, but because they're so vibrant and colorful, they just stick out so much more. So it's definitely had a great revamp. And if you want to get Citadels, you want to get into it, then grab the new version. They did release a classic edition, which I think you can get for dirt cheap. I mean, granted, if you just want to pay the cheapest chips for this game and you're not fussed about the new version, then grab the classic edition that they've released, if you can still find one in a shop, that is, because it's solid and it's so cheap and so good. But this new version of Citadels, love it. This is going to be permanent in my collection. I cannot see this ever leaving. It's just so much fun. I enjoy it. It's simple. It still makes you think. You know, it has some take that. You might miss a turn or two, that just happens, but you're trying to avoid things, you're concentrating on what everyone else is doing, you want to know whether someone's, you know, that person, did he take the assassin, and if he did, is he likely to target your bishop, 
or are you are you hidden nicely in the shadows as a role that you didn't desperately need but allows you to take a turn? Do you want to go for high value buildings or low value buildings? Do the purple, in fact the purple buildings is one of the best additions actually because they gave you a special ability each of them and in this new version they've given you more and some of them give you other ways to score end game victory points so you've got other paths to victory that may reveal themselves during the game. I certainly like it. Well, certainly like it. I certainly love it, to be more frank. It's in my top 100, the middle of it. I know some people aren't a fan. I can see why. Maybe you want something with a bit more meat, then maybe go play Mission Red Planet, for example. This took that Citadel's mechanic and introduced an area control theme into it as well, like landing on Mars. Everything seems to be about Mars these days. But I still love Mission Red Planet. It's on my shelf as well. I don't know. I think it actually, I prefer it to Citadel's. But that's not to say I think Citadels is inferior to Mission Red Planet in the sense that, oh, you should only get Mission Red Planet. I just like the other aspects that Mission Red Planet throws in, but it's probably a bit too far above gateway level for most people. I would stick with something like Citadels. And Citadels is just a you know, couple of decks of cards and some counters. Easy enough, doesn't have too much table space. You could play it on a small table. Most people would be able to get into it relatively easily. I still really enjoy it. It stood the test of time. For Fantasy Flight games, I believe this was an evergreen title for them. It just constantly sold and sold and sold. I can see why. You know, not everybody feels the same. That's fair enough. But I love it. I'm handing on to it. The Great Citadels. Okay, let's wrap up this podcast by talking quickly about my future plans. Essentially, I need to take track of my work-life balance, which is kind of a bit all over the shop at the moment. My job is getting very demanding. That is a charge of the accountant. You know, it requires more of me. I need to work more hours, and especially over the next few months, I've got to work a lot of hours because we're coming up to our audit. But, you know, that's a separate issue. What I was making the mistake of doing last year, though, was going a bit too gung-ho on reviews. You might have noticed over the last two or three months that my output has been insane. Bearing in mind, I do this alone as a hobby. To put out a video nearly every two days on average is pretty insane. It took a lot of time, takes a lot of effort, and I am grateful for everyone who has shown support and appreciation and given good positive feedback or even constructive feedback you know, constructive criticism, sorry, over the show so I can improve it, so I can, you know, at least feel like, yes, this is worth doing, it's great. But I may have gone a bit overboard with how many reviews I was doing. And this is going to be a hard shell to break out of, I know, but I have just about caught up with the January-December backlog. I think Kingsburg 2nd Edition went up recently, and that was the last one for a video review that I had to do. So now I need to try and balance things out a bit. And first things first, I am going to temper my, uh, you know, taper, temper, whatever, my amount of reviews I do. Because it was getting to the point I was doing three a week or something, you know, possibly more, and it's just too many. It's too many for one person to do, to record, to play, to edit, especially if they're big games. I mean, if they're expansions, then fine, but it's a little hard to do those. So I'm going to try and restrict how many games I request from distributors and you know people who have kindly helped me out with the blog through review copies. I'm going to try and tone down how many I get so that I could just manage the workload a bit better. I will also try and focus more on games I believe will be super popular. Because when I've gone through the ratings on my videos in terms of the views, you know, I've been doing a lot of, oh, this one broke the 1000 club lately and then I re-released the video so people can see it. Great. But as I go through what has generated a lot of views and what hasn't, there is a fairly clear correlation between some games and others. There are some games that have just had a sick amount of views and I'm not entirely certain why. You know, two of my most popular videos are the expansion circus, the circus one, under the big top or something for Carcassonne, and the whims of the Sultan... Five Tribes expansion. I don't know why they got so many views. Maybe they just got shared in the right places or something. Maybe it was because Whims of the Sultan had me on a massive rant. People just like to see me rant. But the Carcassonne one was that many, was 2,000 people really desperate to, to watch 
what I thought about a recent Carcassonne expansion. It was kind of weird. So apart from those outliers though, it was clear to see which ones were more popular. The Charterstone Solar Review was popular. People wanted to know about the char um, the Civilization A New Dawn. You know, they wanted to see if that was any good. People are no doubt going to be interested to hear what I have to say about things like Rising Sun and that. First Martians was uh, pretty popular, you know, that one needed some good going. Strangely enough, the Streets of Arkham Mansions of Madness expansion uh, got quite a lot of views, which was a little bit shocking. But yeah, there are some videos that get more reviews than others. But then in contrast, looking at some of the ones that don't get a lot of views, was it worth me doing those reviews? I did one of um, Innovation Deluxe. I love Innovation, it's a great game, love it. But the Deluxe video has only had about a couple hundred views since it came out, and that was a good couple of months ago. You know, in contrast, Charterstone Solo has already got a thousand views, and I only released that at the start of January. And on top of that, there have been other ones, like uh, Unlock 2, you know, the new Unlocks. Great game, love it, some problems, but all in all good. Barely a couple hundred views, though. People just weren't desperate to know about the thoughts on Unlock. Now, whether that's because the games aren't popular, maybe I was too late to the forefront, you know, to get those reviews out. It's tricky to get them played in time, you know, against the big league, who literally get copies out miles in advance, or who do this as a full-time job. But, you know, that's the way it is. You know, it's just how we do it. But maybe people just didn't desperately need to know what that game was like. I mean, if you played the original Unlock and liked it, did you really need a reviewer to tell you whether the second one was any good? You were probably going to go and buy it. It's like me reviewing all the Exit games. Do you really need to know specifics of the Exit games? I mean, for starters, it would be spoilerific. And secondly, they're all the same. Yeah, granted, different setting, different puzzles, but it's a one hour, 90 minute riddle solving game. Do you really need to know the difference between the various exit games? You don't. Maybe one review for all the exits, but you don't need one for each. It's about more demand than anything else. So I've got to try and focus the reviews on ones where I feel like more people are interested, and that is gonna be a guessing game throughout the whole year. Because there have been ones that I've done, like Gaia Project, for example, which isn't generating as many views as I thought it would. But I thought Gaia Project was like, oh my god, everybody wanted to know about this game. And yet, more people were interested to know about an expansion to Mansions of Madness than they were Gaia Project. So it's, it's hard to kind of guess this. It is very much a gamble. But I want to try and focus reviews on ones where I feel like they're going to get more buzz. Maybe tone down the ones that I do on expansions, or maybe do expansions as kind of like a, what I'm thinking, maybe like a once a month expansion, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, summary, or something like that. Because, to be honest, how much can you say about most expansions? You're probably going to say that they just do much of the same and then have one extra little bit. Do I need to, you know, request it specifically and do a full review on it? Or could I just literally have talked about it for five minutes and left it at that? If so, then maybe it would be better for me to do expansions as a once a month video where I take two or three expansions I've acquired during the month, talk about them briefly, say my thoughts, there you are, job done, one video. Takes less time, takes less time to record, takes less time to edit. And so I still get the content out, I still get my opinion out, but then I can focus on other things. So I'm gonna be trying to see how that goes, you know, I mean, granted, I'm not doing a great job at the moment, but uh, saying that, I've got a bunch of new games lately, but not all of them were review copies. Uh, I believe Bunny Kingdom was, and Vengeance is a review copy, and I think that's about it. I don't think there's any others. I got Time of the Daleks, that was a uh, freebie. Um, not a review copy, but a freebie. I've got Rising Sun, that was a Kickstarter. I got Empires of the Void, that was a Kickstarter, so... There's a lot of new stuff I've got, but I don't, you know, they're not review copies. I want to get my opinion out on them, but I don't desperately have to do a review video. Well, certainly not within the time frame. But there's still a lot to play, so maybe I do need to get on with that. What I might do, though, is maybe substitute written for video. I know I want the video channel to grow and I want to get lots of videos on it, but I have to accept that maybe I'm putting out too much in terms of reviews only. So maybe what I'll do is I will interchange. I will do videos on some and written on some others. Maybe the less popular ones that I think won't get many views, I'll do written. And the ones that I think are gonna get a lot, 
we'll do the video. Or something that maybe that needs more explanation, I'll do the video. And the ones that are pretty simple and clear cut, I'll do the written. We'll see. I already do guest written reviews for Chaos Cards and Games Quest. I'm going to be toning down the supply I get from Games Quest soon. I just need to get through a backlog with them. I've got Majesty uh, for the Realm to do and Pulsar 2849 to do. And I've just finished a couple recently. Oh no, I need to do Bloodborne as well. So there's three already with that. It's taken a while. So eventually I'll get on top of things and I'll start toning those down a bit. But that's not to say I'm toning down content for the Broken Meeple in general. The podcast is something that I need to know from you guys. Do you want this podcast? I enjoy doing it. I like to just talk at the microphone and give my thoughts, but it's very difficult to tell how popular this podcast is. You can see reviews and analytics on YouTube a lot easier than you can from SoundCloud. And if somebody downloads it, is that a good thing? You know, if somebody listened to it on here but didn't download it, is that a good thing? It's hard to tell. But people do recognize me, voice or personality-wise, from the podcast. So there must be some good to it. But I would be interested to know if the podcast is something you like, you know, do you enjoy it? Do you want to see it change, shortened, whatever? Are you happy with just a once a month podcast? Because I wanted to do it every couple of weeks, but it's just becoming too much work. Are you happy with that? Because if anything had to go, like properly go, I don't want anything to go from this Broken Meeple thing, but if something had to go, the podcast might be the one that did. Mainly because the video channel is more important at the moment. The written reviews are still good to do. I can even do some at work now and again at lunchtime. But the podcast is another thing that has to come on. And I have a disadvantage of being by myself. Yeah, there are people out there, the Polyhedron Colliders and Gaming Rules who do things with interviews, the Dice Tower and various other podcasts who, and Richard Simpson, for example, who should be releasing an episode with me anytime now, actually. I just appeared on his show as a guest. Great fun, but they have other people. They can bounce off each other, they can banter, they can discuss, and those podcasts are infinitely better to listen to, I think, than just a solo person. I have to realize this fact, but I don't exactly have a convenient guest host I can find who can basically allow, you know, come and join me on the show. If you live near Portsmouth and you're interested, then by all means drop me a line if you think you, you know, want to do regular things like that, maybe this could work. But I digress. I just need to know your feedback. Is the podcast what you want? Do you want more? Do you want less? I need to sort of know, really. I need your feedback on this because I think this is the only surefire way I'm going to know. On top of that, though, written reviews, still doing them for guests. I might interchange them with the videos, like I said, so you'll see. Because some people actually have said to me, are you ever going to do written reviews again? And I do do them for guests, but they're on different websites. People have just asked me, are you going to do written reviews in general? At first I said no, because I was only doing them for guests because they didn't want videos. But people are starting to go, well, I don't always get the chance to watch a video, I don't have time, I don't really listen to YouTube, I was happy to just have a nice read or something, you know, on my phone or my tablet. And I'm like, maybe it's time I did do a few more written ones. And written reviews can be done quite quickly. I'm the sort of person that if I get typing, I am like Wesley Snipes out of Demolition Man. You know, damn, I'm possessed. Well, what, what if I can play the accordion too? You know, and I'm just going mad when I start typing. And granted that some of it can be waffle, but it makes for an entertaining read, I think, because it means I am talking as if I was talking to you, not just scripted. You know, so I do very little editing on the written reviews. I just like to spout out what I need to say as long as I get the major points across. It's a bit like everything else. I don't script anything. So, no, the written reviews I might bring back a bit more because they're quicker to do than videos as well. I thought I could do a video way quicker than the written review. I was wrong. The editing time, the record time, the logistics. Yeah, written reviews are quicker, end of. <laughs> so that's just a natural thing. But what I want to do, when I tone down the reviews and get them a bit more balanced, because I like doing reviews, but I have to accept that I am a small fry person. I'm in the little league. And I can only do so much that other people can't do. You know, I have my own style and I, people are liking that with the reviews. People like the fact that I don't kiss up to anybody. You know, if I don't like something, I will tell you and I will tell you why. You may not agree, but at least we'll just, you know, we'll debate about it. And as long as we keep it friendly and civil, brand, you know, brilliant, that's the way I like it. People like that. So I want to keep doing reviews. But I would like to try other things as well. The top 10s that I've been doing, the top 100, they're very popular. 
People love to watch the top 100 views and people are really liking these top 10s. They are getting more views on my channel than anything else. And I know I talk a lot about views, but it's important for a contributor to know what, you know, how many people are viewing his videos because, or his or her, sorry, because you need to know that what you're doing is out there and being appreciated by somebody. It doesn't have to be the millions. I'm not talking about being famous like the Dice Tower or anything. No, 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 no. But just to know that somebody out there listens and likes it is good enough. Even if it's just one person, 10 people even. You know, you don't want to, you don't need to be famous. You just need somebody to like it. Just someone. And that's a good thing. And some other contributors get very sort of depressed or downhearted about it because they feel like they're putting in all this effort and they're not seeing people want it or seeing people request it or enjoy it. I tell them they're mad because I feel that loads of people want to see what they do. They give them positive feedback, but I can understand where this like depression kind of lies. So what I want to do is try a variety of content because the only way that this channel is going to grow is for me to try new things. And the top 10s, I love doing. They take a lot of effort, they take a bit more time to record and edit because of the concert numbers and the getting the games and doing the top 10 list, but they're so much fun. I love top 10 lists, it's just such an entertaining thing to do. So I'm gonna keep doing those. I'm already going through my retrospective, um, you know, top 10s at the moment. I just did top 10 of 16. I will get on to recording the top 10 of 15 very soon, and then I'll do 14 and 13 shortly after, and then get on to other top 10 topics. Love them, I wanna do them more. I used to do them on the podcast, maybe I'll do the occasional one on the podcast. If people would like me to bring those back, I will consider it, but, I felt that the videos could talk about them more, but we'll see. If you want the top 10s back on the podcast, if that's one thing that would keep you listening, then by all means, I will try and do so. We'll leave it to your feedback on that. So they're gonna continue, I wanna do more. But I have two other ideas, so hear me out on this. Firstly, playthroughs. Now playthroughs are a massive logistical burden. They are insanely hard to record, insanely hard to edit. You know, I give credit to Paul Grogan and Rodney Smith for doing what they do. Granted, more videos from Rodney Smith are the ones that I'm actually listening to, mainly because they're the games I have. But, occasionally, Paul Grogan will do a video on a game that I have. Liz Boer, for example, Pulsar 2849, and, uh, what else do you do? Keeper, and stuff like that. And those videos have been, like, insanely useful. Both of them do a fantastic job if you own any game that those two have done a video on, I suggest you go and watch their video if you haven't learned the game already because it just helps so much. But I don't want to do full rules playthroughs because if you get one rule wrong, as I found out when I tried it in my first season of this, my God, people hound you. And rightly so. If you're gonna do a rules teaching, you should get the rules right. It's very hard to do that though. So it's not something I want to do per se, but I had the idea of solo playthroughs. There's a lot of people out there that are doing rules, playthroughs, and walkthroughs for heavy games. You've got heavy cardboard for that sort of thing. There's Rodney Smith and Paul Grogan for doing just general rules teaching. And you've got Rado, who does an interesting, fun job, if you don't mind motion sickness, with, you know, the general playthroughs. What I want to try, though, is similar, but with solo only. I have a stabilizer device for my mobile phone. It can record pretty good video footage. It's a Samsung Galaxy S8. Pretty good footage. The microphone could sit exactly where it is now, in front of me, by the side of my geeks and table, allowing me to record the voice whilst I'm playing a game. I hold the stabilizer with one hand, I manipulate pieces with the other. Could be done, but I need more practice to find out if it'll work. Might do some test footage and put it up on YouTube soon. But with that, I feel more people would be interested. Because there aren't a lot of people who take note of the solo variants and solo rules for a lot of games. I mean, Otis, great little game, plays two to four players. There was an official solo variant published online for that game. I've yet to try it out, but that would be a great video. Most people don't know about the solo variant and then to have someone just run through it. And it doesn't have to be the entire game. It could just literally be set up and a few turns. That's all it needs to be, unless it's really short, but you don't want the whole video to be nothing but that, but just to teach you how to set it up the first few turns, and then leave it to your own devices to get going. You would only have to explain so much because you would assume that anybody who has played the game already knows how to play the game and therefore just wants the solo bit on top. Or maybe you want to see the solo, how it runs through just generally. We'll see, I need to sort of think of the ideas. 
but Otis could work with that. LCGs like Lord of the Rings and Arkham Horror could work. Uh, Vital the Surda games have got solo variants that are pretty cool. Uh, trying to think of another example. Oh, um, there must be another example. I suppose the Doctor Who Time of the Daleks one could be played solo. There's solo rules in Vengeance. You know, um, you can play that one solo. Uh, what else is there? Flam Rouge. Flam Rouge has now got a solo variant. So there's a lot of potential out there. So is that something you'd like to see? Let me know. I'd like to know more if you feel good on that. Because if so, I'll try to get some test footage up. We'll give it a go. People can give me some constructive feedback on what needs to change, format and everything. And we'll see how things go. You know, it'd be nice to do that instead of a review. You know, if I can do one of those instead of a review, it's hard to say that phrase. But, you know, that would be a cool thing. And finally, before I wrap this podcast up, I realise it's getting a bit long for this, sorry. But the other idea I had was apps. Now, I think Suzanne from the Dice Tower used to do this. I don't know if she still does, but she did, like, playthroughs of apps. Now... With this, I can't just hold a tablet in front of a camera and say, here you go, here's how it plays. But I've managed to find a way, I think, I'd have to double check, of mirroring, mirroring, whatever, my tablet screen from an Android tablet onto my PC. And I also have some games that are apps on Steam. Now, just because they're on Steam means that they don't differ that much from a tablet. Yeah, okay, two different platforms, but it's the same game. It's not like the fundamentals of the game change, it's just the platform. So, I've got a lot of board game apps. Granted, I don't get to play them very often, time-wise, but would it be cool if I was to do a recording of, not live, because I don't really have, I have no idea how to work Twitch, and I haven't got used to live streaming yet at all, but recording my playthrough of a solo game of an app with computer AI, and just watching me talk about not only the rules in brief detail, but just giving my impressions of the app as I play through it. You know, what does this look like? You know, does this enjoy it? And then you could just watch me rant and rave about the game I'm playing. You know, like the computer opponents getting cocky, or I'm losing badly, it's like, what am I doing wrong? You know, that kind of thing. And then put that on YouTube. My video editing software allows me to use my webcam as a recording device and record straight off my headset. So the audio would be slightly different. I'd have to use my gaming headset, so you would see me in front of my PC in my study, where there's not a huge amount in the background, unfortunately, but you know, you would just see me in my headset with the webcam in the corner of the screen, talking about the game I'm playing, and then you just watch the game play out on the screen, whether it's on my tablet or on the keyboard. Now, this isn't entirely foolproof, because the problem is, if it's on my tablet, that's easy. It's quiet. I have a mechanical keyboard, though. I fear that recording on that keyboard might sort of, it might pick up too much of my headset noise with the keyboard in play. We'd have to see, but um, maybe I can get around that. We'll, we'll just have to go with it. But maybe the headset won't pick up the mechanical keyboard too much. It's difficult to really drown out those keys when you're doing everything else. Maybe you won't care. Maybe you won't care if you can hear a few keys as I'm talking, because at the end of the day, you're watching me play a game, and I'm sure I'll be able to make the music of the app, you know, louder than the keys, although then you've got to hear my voice. Like I say, I need to do test footage, I need to try this out. I need time, and that means towing down other things. You've heard me go on a lot about this. This is ideas I have. Things I would like to put in motion, of course, things need to go. Whether it's uh, reviews need to tone down, or the podcast needs to be less regular, or even non-existent, who knows. You know, I need to, or maybe it's because I need to do reviews in written form, as well as video to shorten it. We'll have to see. I'd love your ideas. Your feedback would be most appreciated. What would you like to see? Which way do you think I should try and go about this? You know, I welcome all thoughts and appreciate all feedback. So... That's it for me. I'm going to start wrapping this up now because I am losing my voice as I talk to you. And it is getting late and I do need to think about going to bed. So that's it for me for another episode of The Broken Meeple. Thank you for tuning in, guys. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed what you see. Find me on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. Support the Patreon if you can. Basically, just get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. So that's it for me. And remember, no matter what, it's only a game. See you on the next episode, guys. 
Take care. Thanks for listening. You can check out more material from the Broken Meeple at my website at www.brokenmeeple.blogspot.co.uk. You can also find me on Facebook or see my Twitter handle at The Broken Meeple. If you live anywhere near Portsmouth, feel free to come along to one of our fortnightly Wednesday board gaming clubs, Portsmouth On Board. Search for us on meetup.com or Facebook for more information. Occasional support for The Broken Meeple comes in the form of review copies of games from distributors such as Estevium Games and from retailers such as Chaos Cards, where you can find great games at great prices at chaoscards.co.uk. Thanks again, and from me and everyone else at the Dice Tower Network, have fun gaming. You're listening to the Dice Tower Network. If you like this show, you might like Blue Peg, Pink Peg, or The Snakes Cast. Find out more at dicetowernetwork.com.